I have enjoyed this study through the book of Acts over the last, gosh, it's been, I think, a couple years, about two years. I think it was December two years ago that I actually started, if I remember correctly. Uh, so um, it's been, a, you know, a, over a hundred weeks through the book of Acts, and it, it's been a real blessing to me. I've enjoyed doing this. You know, of course, we've gone through Acts before, but uh, better this time, and looking forward to what the Lord is going to continue to do. But we're going to wrap it up today, beginning in the 11th verse here in chapter 28, of course. And so, if you guys will stand with me. Um, if you're able to stand for the reading of verses 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 31, those 21 verses, uh, please do that. And again, as I always share with you, you know, we, we stand in honor of the word of God as we have received from uh, the, the priest Ezra in the book of Nehemiah, in honor of the word of God. So I'm going to go ahead and read verses 11 to 31. And follow along with me as I read from the New King James Version. Luke writes, After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass, after three days, that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Well, that was one long Bible study, wasn't it? <laughs> and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he said these words, 
the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. And Father, as we look at these last several verses of the book of Acts, we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is with us, that he would teach us, he would be our teacher, that he would lead us into your truth, that he would give us understanding. Lord, we are helpless and hopeless to have understanding of your word apart from your spirit opening the eyes of our hearts to have understanding. Now give us wisdom and discernment also in how we can apply these truths to our lives in what we do and what we say. Even, Lord, what we think. Have your way, God, we pray. Be glorified, be honored in this place and in every heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we pick up in verse 11, of course, last week we went through the first 10 verses of, of this uh, chapter, and, and, and we noted how uh, those who had survived the shipwreck there on the island of Malta discovered that this island was Malta. Uh, one of the things that's a part of that is certainly the, the, the crew of the ship would have known Malta, they would have landed on Malta a number of times, but they actually wound up, because of the storm and the way the, the, the storm moved the ship, they landed on the other side of the island and it was unrecognizable to them. You know, so they found out it was Malta and they were, they were probably thinking, oh, this is Malta, okay. You know, but they had never been on that side of the island, they would land in a port on the opposite side. So, so that's one reason for that. But we, we noted how they were treated kindly by the inhabitants. So we, we talked to, uh, some deal about that kindness that they showed. Uh, Paul was, of course, bitten by this poisonous viper when he was gathering some, uh, some, some wood for, uh, for the fire. And then the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the natives there on the island, uh, understanding that this was a poisonous viper, they're, they're thinking, boy, this guy must have done something really, really bad for the gods to have done this. He survived the shipwreck, but they're going to get him anyway. You know, so, so it's like th th he must have done something wrong. But then, of course, we, we saw that nothing took place with him. They were kind of waiting, watching him to, to, to swell up or something and, 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 and even die, and nothing happened to him. And then they thought, well, he's, he must be a god then, you know, from one extreme to the other. Um, but they treated them kindly. Um, we saw also that he healed the, the father of Publius, who was, uh, from the wording here, uh, likely the uh, Roman governor there of, of Malta. And uh, when that took place, uh, many of the islanders there, they, they brought uh, uh, sick their, their, their sick relatives and so forth, and those who were sick came, and, and they were healed through the hands of the Apostle Paul. Um, and we saw the very last verse there, verse 10. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, I, I pointed out last week that in those 10 verses, we see a, a three-month period of time. Uh, because we see there in verse 11, uh, it begins with, after three months, we sailed. So they were there for a period of, of three months. And, and, and you can just simply imagine, we pointed this out last week, you can imagine... In that three-month period of time, the amount of, uh, of work, the amount, the amount of evangelism, the amount of teaching of God's word, the amount of ministry that must have been taking place through the hand of the Apostle Paul, even as he was a prisoner chained to a guard uh, all of the time, uh, not necessarily the, the same guy. Uh, it was um, what they would do in that time. The Roman guards would, would basically go on six-hour shifts in a situation like this when somebody's chained to them. And, and th that's basically what would have taken place. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. That's that continued uh, through his time, as he was saying there in, in Rome, of course. 
but a three-month period of time took place, and it was three months because that's how long they had to remain there to wait out the winter weather and the storms on at sea and things of that nature before they could actually leave safely from the island. So that, that was basically a, a requirement. And we see there also in um, that 11th verse, uh, they sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers who which had wintered at the island. So this this other ship was there on the island wintering uh, before it would uh, uh, sail away, and then, of course, they, they found this ship and, and they got on it. F.F. Um, Bruce writes this in regard to this uh, stay there through the winter. He wrote that the elder Pliny says that navigation begins to be resumed when the west winds start to blow on February 8th. It was probably about this date that the party set sail from Malta. So there at the beginning of the second week of February or so, the weather begins to turn a bit favorably to be able to sail, and so they, they probably sailed around that particular time. Now, it's mentioned that this was th this ship had a figurehead of the twin brothers, which was not unusual for a ship sailing uh, on the Mediterranean. A according to uh, Greek mythology, uh, these twin brothers would have been Castor and Pollux, the sons of Zeus, who um, were the gods associated with the safety of sailors and warriors. And so in their uh, uh, superstition and the mythology that they believed, that's what they would do, and, and, and uh, Luke just simply makes note of that. In verse 12, we see this. They landed at Syracuse, and they stayed there for three days. Uh, Syracuse was on the island of Sicily, the, the most important city and port on the island of Sicily. Uh, they stayed there for three days, likely because of the winds, you know, the winds will shift and so forth, and until they got a favorable wind, then they just took off after, after three days. That's how long they would have been there. Uh, we see they land at Regium on verse, verse, verse 13 after they've circled around and reached that port. And then after a day there, the south wind blew a favorable wind, and they found were able to go all the way to Puteoli, which is on, on the coast of Italy, uh, at the around the, the, the toe of Italy, you know, the boot thing with Italy, right on the toe, that, that's about where that particular city is. And they found some believers there, and they invited them to stay for seven days. Uh, seven days uh, as they had landed there, that, that probably was the goal of this ship to land there at Puteoli, and we're going to see here that, as we, and we, as we already read, you know, they are going to basically travel the rest of the way to Rome uh, on land. But they landed there and and found uh, a uh, found believers there in that particular area who stayed who invited them to stay for seven days, probably a seven day period of time. That was the required amount of time for the uh, centurion who was heading up all the guard and all that, uh, and in charge of the soldiers to do what he needed to do in terms of his his work and, and getting paperwork done and all that he had to do administratively with these uh, um, prisoners. But the believers there uh, invited them to stay for seven days, and, that and we see there that, as Luke is writing, we were there for seven days, so not only Paul, but Luke was a part of that, Aristarchus was uh, undoubtedly a part of that, and, and any other believers who were there, but probably just the three of them at that point in time. Who knows how many others may have been invited to come who came to Christ through the ministry that took place on that ship as they saw all that went, went, went on with the, with the Apostle Paul. They all survived. That They heard the gospel being preached. How many? You know, we, we just don't know. Maybe even some of the prisoners. We don't know. But anyway, that's the kind of thing that's going on there uh, in, in regard to all this. And then we, we see there that in verse 15, at the end of verse 14, and so we went toward Rome. So they started toward Rome from Puteoli. And as they headed toward Rome, the brethren in Rome, 
course, there was a church at Rome. Uh, Paul had written his letter to the Roman church uh, probably around three years before this is going on. And so the church had been established a number of years before, but the Apostle Paul had never been there. No record of any of the apostles having ever been to Rome, but the gospel had reached Rome, and there was a church birthed there uh, to whom Paul wrote. And then when they heard that the Apostle Paul was on his way, they headed toward the uh, Puteoli, on the main road there between the two cities, and they, they met Paul the Apostle there, as we see there in verse 15, uh, met us as far as Appii Forum and Three Inns. Uh, Appii Forum is about 40 miles from Rome, Three Inns or Three Taverns, uh, a, a popular spot that was about 30 miles from Rome, and, and these Christians from Rome greeted them, and they walked with them all the way to Rome. So that would have been a couple of days, uh, uh, 40 miles, about 20 miles a, 20 miles a day, may, maybe a little bit further, depending on how long they would go and how fast they're walking. But, you know, if, if any of you do any walking, if you're, if you're walking about three miles an hour, that's a pretty good pace. You know, uh, eight hours, you can get 24 miles, right? If you walk a little bit slow, more slowly, uh, can you keep that pace for eight hours? You know, I mean, that, that whole thing, that's all part of it. But it's generally understood about 20 miles a day on foot. So a couple of days. And so these believers who had received that letter from the Apostle Paul got to hang out with him. How many came? We don't know. How large was the church there? We don't know. How many actual house churches were in the area of Rome at this time? We don't know. But there was a church. They had come out to meet him and just hanging out with the Apostle Paul, uh, talking about the Lord and being able to fellowship during that time. And I'm sure they, they, they were quite intrigued and fascinated about the events of the previous uh, three to four months, especially those two weeks on sea there uh, in which they almost lost their lives and they were shipwrecked and all. But those are the things that we see happening. So we see here, in verse 15, we f they finally arrive in Rome. Last week as we were sharing about God's blessings and, and the importance of obedience and so forth, um, one of the ways that he does bless those who obey him is by granting their desires. One of the, one of the verses we quoted last week was, Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And, and we were careful to make sure that we reiterate that it's not by doing things for God that we receive blessing from him. But in our obedience to him, if it actually comes from the heart, you know, I mean, Let's face it, there are some people who, are gonna, who, who believe they're going to get rewarded by, by doing good works, by doing good things. Well, no, that's not the case. Yet, in the doing of good things, if, it, if they are things that are coming from the heart, because you love God, you want to honor Him, you want to praise Him, you, you, you are treating Him as if He really is God, and He's got that rightful place of... Uh, of uh, being on the throne of your heart, at that point, it's the relationship that is rewarded. Not the deeds, but the relationship. But the, de but the deeds come because of the relationship, right? Uh, we always have to reiterate that because it's so easy for us to cross that line. You know, I don't do things to get rewarded. I do things because I've already been rewarded. Not really rewarded, but given eternal life. I don't do things to get life. I don't think do things to get blessed, but I do things because I am blessed. I'm alri I already have life. So th that's the situation that we always have to remember. But he gives us the desires of our hearts. And part of the thing there is this. When we delight ourselves in him, when he is our delight, he is the primary delight of our lives. We talked about that last week as well. 
then we receive the desires of our hearts because quite frankly, when he is your delight, my delight, when he is our delight, our desires become what are his. A better way to put it is his desires become our desires. And so naturally, we will see them fulfilled in our lives. We see the Apostle Paul here in verse 16. They came to Rome. Uh, the centurion um, allowed Paul, even though the rest of the prisoners were delivered to the captain of the guard, uh, the, the, uh, Paul himself was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. With the soldiers who guarded him. Now we, we talked about this this uh, the shifts of you know four shifts of six hours, and 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 one thing that I think that we need to do is just kind of try to imagine what that must have been like. You know the reality of the fact that Paul was guarded by these Roman soldiers constantly, and I think we could assume that it was probably the same four soldiers who were on this shift with him. That's normally the way that things work on a job. And so these four guys are with him, and, and, and all the things that are going on, uh, the, the, the journey to Rome, the, these believers coming, and, and, and they're, they're understanding the, uh, uh, the status that the Apostle Paul had among these believers. You know, I mean, they, they were excited that he was coming. They wouldn't have walked 40 miles to greet him if they weren't excited about him coming. You know, I and mean, all these kinds of things. And, and hearing their fellowship and seeing the joy and, 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 and hearing the stories. And, and they saw the things that, were taking, that had taken place on the ship. They saw the things that had taken place in three months on Malta. And now all these other things. And then that's going to continue on for a couple years in Rome. We'll talk about that in just a few more moments but all these things that are going on um, Paul always went to the Jews first verse 17 after three days he called the leaders of the Jews together now normally in his missionary journeys every city that he would land in he would first go to the synagogue to address the Jews, to share with the Jews, to evangelize the Jews who were there in those synagogues. He didn't have that freedom. He called them, their leaders, to come to him. And so that we, that's what we see in the following verses. From the very beginning, in, in Acts chapter 13, on his first missionary journey, I want to read verses 44 to 46 with you out of that chapter. On the next Sabbath, Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. This is what he did in every city that he came to. Jews first, but then to the Gentiles. But it's interesting, isn't it, the way that Paul words this. He simply, he, the, the, the last part of it, since you reject it, you reject the gospel, you reject that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed your Messiah. We turn to the Gentiles as you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. That's an interesting way to put that. An unbeliever hearing the gospel, rejecting the gospel, is passing judgment on himself or herself. That's interesting, isn't it? One way that, that Paul words that here. Uh, it's kind of a fascinating way to do that. He says in verse, as, as we continue on here, 
as, as he's speaking to these Jewish leaders, uh, just talking about what had happened. You know, uh, they came together there, verse 17, and it begins by speaking, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So you're just basically saying the things that have happened. So when they'd examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. So he's letting them know that the Jews wanted to put him to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, against letting him go, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. That's why I'm here in Rome. I've appealed to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my, my, my nation. So he's speaking uh, um, respectfully. He, he's speaking kindly. He's considering their, their position, not, m- not making any accusations against the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, but he basically is just leaving that to a place where uh, he's not bringing them to a place of uh, coming against him for the things that he might say against them. But then he says verse twenty in verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you, and look at this, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. For the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Now, we've seen that before in several passages earlier, that, that as he's claiming that it's because of the, it's for the hope of Israel that they have bound me. And going back to, to a few other passages in the last uh, few chapters, uh, if we go back to chapter 23, verse 6, we see these words, but when Paul perceived, this was while they were in Jerusalem, uh, before the Jewish council, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. So he links there the hope of Israel with the resurrection from the dead. That was, that's the hope that he's talking about here in chapter 28, the hope of resurrection. Now, obviously, the, the hope of a coming Messiah also was something very real to the Jewish people. But I think in this, cons- in, in this uh, uh, situation, uh, in the context here, we, we've got to say that it is because of the resurrection. Uh, he, similar things, he spoke to Felix, uh, the governor Felix, in Acts 24, verses 14 to 15. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. The just and the unjust. You know, those who don't know Christ and, 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 and pass on, um, they also will be physically resurrected, but not to spend eternity with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Father in heaven. No. It is to spend eternity um, after having been cast into the lake of fire, as we see toward the end of the book of Revelation. I mean, horrifying things that we think about there. Uh, uh, but that's what the Bible states in terms of the resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. Then one last passage also, before Agrippa, uh, just more recently in Acts chapter 26, verses 6 to 8, he says this, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. This hope. To this promise our twelve tribes earnestly serving God day and night hope to attain. Now, obviously, that's speaking about something that they're going to be given, and that's a reference to the resurrection. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Again, linking resurrection to this, to this hope. Then they said to him, verse 21, basically saying, you know, we, we've, we've not heard anything about you, Paul. 
we, we haven't received any news from uh, Jerusalem. We didn't know you were coming. Uh, haven't heard anything bad about you. Haven't heard anything good about you. But now that you bring it up, we are interested in hearing about this sect. Uh, we're interested in hearing what you have to say about it because we know that this is spoken against everywhere. Everywhere. They were curious. They wanted to know. But one thing they did know, it's got a bad reputation. Those who are following this sect. And, 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 and a sect is, is, is a good way. I mean, it, that's an appropriate term uh, from a Jewish perspective. It, it is the sect of the Jews, a sect within the Jew, uh, 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 within Judaism of those who believe that Jesus is the coming Messiah, the prophesied Messiah. So that's, a, that's an appropriate term. But it was spoken against everywhere. Isn't that true in our culture today? You know, it, it is spoken of, spoken against everywhere. You know, in America, as our nation turns more and more and more away from the truth of Scripture, as we who follow the truth of Scripture, we are maligned. The Christian faith is, in our culture is, is, is not honored or appreciated like it was at one time. We have to go back a number of decades for that. I remember a time when it was. It, just, it reminds me, uh, I don't know if any of you caught the uh, 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 debate between uh, Governor DeSantis and Governor Newsom the other day. Uh, but and I, I didn't watch it myself, but I, saw I, I read some comments later. But, but I, I saw that one of the things that, that Governor Newsom uh, uh, pointed out, and, and he was basically criticizing DeSantis for this, he said, you, you want to turn our nation back. You, you want to go back to like the 50s or something. You know, it's like going back instead of moving forward. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like we, we need to go back in a lot of ways, because we've left our roots. We're leaving our roots, our Christian roots as a nation. Yeah, we need to go back toward that. And I, and I thought that was more of a compliment than, than, than anything. Anyway, um, similar in our country. I mean, it's kind of thing here. Holding to the scriptures, believing what the scriptures say, identifying Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, the Savior, Yes, I think that is something that would be important for our nation. Oh, we, we need a revival so badly, don't we? We need a revival. You know, um, I've shared with you recently that I've been walking with the Lord now for for about 50 years, a little over 50 years. You know, 1973, when I came to Christ, in the midst of the Jesus people revival that was taking place beginning in the late 60s, going through the 70s and, and, and I think even into the 80s, you know, that, that revival was lasting. Just an exciting, exciting time. We, we all believe that that's just the way church was. But, uh, you know, before the revival hit in the mid-60s, it was not that way. It became that way because it was a revival. We just thought it was the way church was, but it was revival. That's what was taking place. You know, so it was just a, a very, very exciting time. But we need that. And let's always remember, guys, even as we're talking through the book of Acts and all the things that God did, you know, the Holy Spirit and his activity through the uh, Apostle Paul here, the Apostle Peter earlier, all the apostles in some degree, but they're highlighted, of course, here in the book of Acts, those two. Um, God doing those kinds of things, he continues his work. You know, it's not like he stopped working, right? He's at work today. The Holy Spirit is at work today within the church. He is. He's at work today in the hearts of people whom, to whom, uh, for whom we're praying and to whom we, we, we bear witness to the reality of who Christ is. You know, he, he's speaking to their hearts. People are, are coming to Jesus, just not in the quantity, not as many as we see during a revival. But this one thing, if revival is going to happen around us, it certainly has to take place here first, in your heart 
and in mind. Let's always be aware of that. Let's always be praying that God would revive us. Amen? That's something that is very, very important. Continuing on here, verse 23. The Jewish leaders wanted to hear some things, so verse 23, they appointed a time, and they came. And then we see there, in verse 23, to whom he explains. Um, many came, it says, not just the leaders, but many came. Uh, how many, we don't know. But there were, there were not just a few. He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning evening. Such a, a firm persuasion that they, were, they, they became convinced. That's what that word speaks of. They became convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. He talked about Jesus. Talked about him from the law. Talked about him through the prophets. So he went to the word of God, pointing out those passages that speak about the coming Messiah and pointing out that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies in th that were in the law as well as that came from the prophets. So going back to the word of God, going back to the word of God, as Paul could not go to the synagogue, he asked the, belie the, the believers to come to him, excuse me, he asked the Jewish people to come to him, and they did, and, and a number of them became believers, but a number of them did not also. You know, there, there's always a... a uh, a mixed reception to the gospel as it is taught. But as Paul spoke from the, from the law and the prophets, it, it reminds us of what we saw Jesus do after his resurrection, on the day of his resurrection, as he, as he finds these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. He catches up to them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Why are you guys so bummed and all that, remember? Well, in verses 25 and 20 to 27 in Luke 24, where we see this story, we see these words. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27, And beginning at Moses, the law, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I got to believe that what Jesus shared with these two men is very similar to the things that Jesus, uh, excuse me, that, that, that Paul was sharing with these, with these Jewish uh, um, people on that day in this home that Paul was renting there in Rome. Very similar. I would have loved to have been in, in either one of those things. Those times, especially with Jesus, to hear him expound the scriptures concerning himself from the book of Moses, books of Moses and the prophets. Wouldn't that not be fascinating? Yet I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of those same things, and, I, and, and, and we believe the same things. I mean, the things are written for us, you know, the things that Paul talked about, he wrote about. We, we see Luke talking about it in, or writing about it in Acts. In his letters, whether it's a letter to the Romans or the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, whomever it might be, you know, we, we, we see those things. Peter writing to uh, uh, the churches in Asia, First and Second Peter. By the way, next week we're going to start with First Peter. We're going to be going there uh, next week as, uh, uh, since we're finishing up with Acts today. But just fascinating things that we see in those passages. But again, the law and prophets. We've always got to be in the Word of God. You know, we, we can't um, witness apart from giving the Word of God. But one thing that's important is that we've got to live the Word of God as well. We've got to live the Word of God as well. Because if we preach it without living it, people sense hypocrisy, and they sense that, well, you don't really believe what you're talking about. Because if you did, you would live accordingly. Right? So, 
Those are important aspects of it. But always focusing in on the truth of God's word. As I said, there's always a mixed reaction to the gospel as it's preached. We see in verses 25 to 27, uh, they didn't agree among themselves and they departed after Paul said one word. And this one word lasts through verse 28. We'll read through verse 28 here. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. Now, Isaiah wrote these things around 700 B.C. This is right around 60 A.D., so 750, 760 years later, he's quoting what Isaiah had written by the Holy Spirit, and, and you see what Paul's doing here, too. He's saying that what Isaiah wrote came by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah, right? That's what he's saying here. Important to note. I think it's always fascinating to see that because the Holy Spirit gives the word to the prophets, to Moses, uh, to the apostles, whomever it may be. He gives the word. It's written for us. Then the Holy Spirit is with us to give us understanding. Then the Holy Spirit is with us also to give us the ability, the strength to follow through and obey, to do the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about, as well as giving us the understanding of what is actually written. You know, I've got the author of the book of Isaiah within me, and I can say, okay, Lord, what's he saying here? What really is being said? What, what does this mean? You know, I mean, it's so cool. It's so cool. I, I just love it. Anyway, we, we see these words. Right? Going on, verse 26, saying, go to this people. Now, let me stop here just for a second. What, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to Isaiah is basically, don't expect the people to overwhelmingly respond to what you have to say. That's what he's saying here. You're going to have a lot of people coming against you because a lot of people are not going to get it. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. That's the key. The key is in the heart. Bad soil to put the seed of God's word into. And so it's not going to be bearing fruit. It's, a, it's an issue of the heart. The heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. Let's always remember that. It's always a heart issue. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest, now notice that, their eyes they have closed. God didn't close their eyes. They closed their own eyes here in this passage, you see. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and, tr and turn so that I should heal them. I can't do a work of healing in their lives. I can't make them whole. I can't give them life because they refuse to see. They just won't see. When Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 23, when he's speaking the, these, these woes to the leaders of Israel, the, 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 the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests, you know, the hypocrites, he called them. At the end of that, Jesus says, how I, how I long to take you under my, my arms like a, like a mother hen will, will take her chicks under her wings. And he says, but you were not willing you were not willing incredible things that we see in regard to the response of the human heart toward the truth of God's word some respond and some don't but God does his work of softening our hearts so that we will receive others reject that work so it's just one of those things but many many will not receive and so we see this word spoken to Isaiah and then verse 28, we see Paul continuing to say to these Jewish people who were not receiving, who had rejected the word, therefore let it be known to you 
that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. You're not hearing, but they will. You're not hearing, but they will. And of course, as we see all throughout the book of Acts, you know, wh whenever we see the Gentiles uh, uh, mentioned like this, referred to in this way, they'll receive the truth. You're not, but they will. You know, I mean, they, they would just kind of, you know, they, they would get so offended, they'd get angry, and you can almost see them just, you know, throwing their heads back and walking away, <laughs> you know, and all, all proud and everything. And it's like, that's what they would do. That's what they would do. They would not receive the word of God. And then we see the final couple of verses. Well, verse 29. When, they, when he said these words, the Jews departed in a way like I just described and had a great dispute among themselves. That particular verse, by the way, is not included in some of the Bibles, uh, depending on the, the manuscripts that are used to actually bring the translation. So the New American Standard, the uh, uh, ESV, does not include verse 29 uh, as we see it in the New King James Version. Um, but you could see that that would indeed take place. So uh, I, I think that, that that's, what we, that's what we have here. In verse 30 and 31, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. So th this, this rented house is mentioned a couple times already. It's not mentioned that it was rented, but Paul, by his own means, wa was, was able to uh, um, uh, supply the need for paying the rent of the house probably from donations from, from the church to do that. It's highly unlikely that he would have been able to do his tent-making business while chained to a prisoner constantly, or, or chained to a guard, excuse me, constantly. Maybe. We're not told how the money came, but it was his own house. And he had the freedom to do that. And look at the freedom that he had here. He was there for two whole years, receiving all who came to him. He was able to receive Every person who wanted to come visit him, whether they had come to Rome to visit, and there many, there'd be a lot of people coming to Rome to do business or whatever, and if they were Christians, they would find out where Paul was, they would go to see him. Uh, he, he was able to, 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 to visit and minister to and, and hear from people uh, there in the church in Rome, the various churches that may, that may have been established. Uh, maybe within his own home, he established a church so he could teach every Sabbath day as well as every other day. You know, we don't know. Uh, that's not mentioned, but that could very well be the case. But, the, but this, these guards with him, during this two-year period, in which all he was able to receive all who came to him, doing this, verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. Complete freedom to speak of the kingdom of God, go through the word of God, giving encouragement through the word of God, evangelizing through the word of God, these people who would come, and whatever, whatever the need was, without anyone forbidding him. He had complete and total freedom of speech as he is chained to a guard on a consistent 24-hour-a-day basis. Isn't that cool? And so we see all this ministry taking place in Rome. Along with that, too, in this two-year period, you know, we talk about the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. Say that fast ten times. Prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. Anyway. Um, yeah, Ephesians... Uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, those four, they were written at this time from this rented house there in Rome while chained to a prison guard. Amazing. We find in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, these verses. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Let's stop there for a moment. There's something more important to life than you 
for me. The gospel. The things that have happened to me, he said, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what's important. That's what's important. So whatever happens to us, it's like, Lord, just use this to your honor and glory, and the gospel will go out. If we, if we reject it, we fight against it, we won't accept it, we have to deal with all that stuff, our attitudes aren't going to be right, God's not going to use it. You know, it's like, Lord, just use this to your glory. Might your truth come through this. Somehow honor yourself through it. And, and, and Paul says, it actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. I wonder how that happened. And to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. That I am here because I am a servant of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What he was going through was an encouragement to the rest of the church, and they were much more bold in their sharing of their faith to others. And so it's like, it was better that Paul could be in, in, in these chains so that dozens more, may perhaps hundreds more people, are free and more bold to speak the truth, even as Paul would have, one multiplied by whatever number that would be, right? I mean, so it's, it's just an incredible thing that we see taking place there in Rome during this time. What an attitude to have. And we go back again, as I've done several times, going through the book of Acts, you know, looking at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. As you can tell, one of my favorite verses Paul says to the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. But none of these things move me as, as basically his life was being threatened. He was told that he was going to be in chains. He's saying none of these things move me. He says, that doesn't bother me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I get emotional reading that because to my precious bride, this was a very important verse also. And she stated when she learned that she had, well, when we thought that she had... Um, Alzheimer's. She said, you know, I just want to finish well. I want to finish well. I hope we all want to finish well. My bride did for as long as she could. For as long as she could. She ministered unto the Lord. Well, we see in Philippians chapter 4 verse 22, look at this. As Paul is writing his closing comments, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Well, he testified to the gospel of the grace of God, and it reached into Caesar's household. And I've shared with you that Pastor Chuck Smith has said that, that um, he believes that Caesar Nero's rejection of the gospel is what turned his heart in such a way against a Christian. He kind of became kind of crazy because of that. You know, and I, I think that that's, that's something worth really thinking a lot about. But certainly, the Gentiles did indeed hear the gospel of Christ. All of Caesar's household. That's a blessing. From Jerusalem to Rome. Acts 1.8. We see these words. But you, Jesus is speaking to his apostles. 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see the beginning, and we see how now the gospel has reached Rome. Paul dreamed also that he could go to Spain. And we believe that perhaps he did. We didn't know for sure. But it seemed like a likelihood. You know, af after the book of Acts, these things could have taken place. Um, Paul being released from prison after that two-year period of time. Um, going to Spain, uh, writing during this period of time the first letter to Timothy and, t and then Titus as well, rearrested and in a Roman prison for a second time, uh, writing his final letter to Timothy and then dying around 66 to 68 AD at the hands of Caesar Nero, being beheaded uh, by him. Uh, all, of course, taking place after the book of Acts was written. A couple of things we can learn from the Apostle Paul that I want to go through quickly in terms of our sharing of the, the uh, gospel with other people. Paul obviously uh, shared the gospel whenever and wherever he had the opportunity. You know, sometimes we can pray for the right time. I think timing can be something that's valuable, but I think we sometimes blame our own hit. Uh, rather than taking, uh, allowing for the blame to fall on our own hesitance or maybe fear of man, you know, we'll say, well, it's just not the right time. I, I, I think there's a balance to that. I think there's a fine line there somewhere, you know. But if the Holy Spirit's leading you, it doesn't mean that it's going to go well. But it does mean that a seed will be planted. And these are, these are things to, for us to remember. And, and Paul, while he was under house arrest, he did that. Paul's message was always clothed in humility and graciousness, even in the tactful way that he spoke to the, these Jewish leaders in his first uh, uh, meeting with them there in Jerusalem. Uh, he always preached biblically, always from the word. Um, never wasted an opportunity. It was just a matter of three days he arrived in, 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 in Rome that he had, that he invited these Jewish leaders to come to him. Um, he was tireless in giving the gospel from morning to evening we see here speaking to these Jewish people um, he preached to Jews and Gentiles alike um, he always recognized that the work of the Holy Spirit is essential in preparing the soil as well as giving of the word and then the work that's going to be done and he consistently preached Jesus as he wrote to, to uh, uh, the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he came to a place of, of, of preaching Christ and him crucified. That's where he came. And uh, again, uh, we, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. So the church birthed in Jerusalem, and now the gospel is going to the end of the earth, as Jesus had said primarily in the book of Acts, highlighted are the ministries of Peter and Paul, the apostles Peter and Paul. The church doing exactly what Jesus said they would do. The question for us today is, how are we doing? I mean, for generations, over the last 2,000 years, generations of Christians have brought the word to this continent, to the West Coast, to our hearts. We're sitting as members of the same church that they are a part of. They were faithful. Are we? Are we being a witness for Christ? Are we faithful to share his truth? To live his truth in such a way that people will ask, how can you have joy right now with this going on in your life? And we can do what Peter said, be ready. Be ready to give a, defensive, a defense for, for the hope that is within you. See, the reason we can be a, a positive reflection of who Christ is, even going through difficult times, is because of the hope that he's given. And when people show amazement that we have hope, even going through a difficult time, we have opportunity to share 
the truth. It's all about spiritual truth, all about the gospel again. Paul said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my, my life as dear to myself. Do I care too much about what happens to me? Maybe that's a question all of us should ask. But I pray that in coming years, if the Lord tarries, that generations from now, people will see that we were faithful as we handled the gospel in our life. And Father, help us to do so. Give us your Holy Spirit. Might he be poured out upon us in a mighty and powerful way. Might we be used by him to be examples. Might he, be, might he use us to be faithful in following your word in being the men and women that you called us to be by his power and also being faithful to speak your truth as you give us opportunity. Might we be consistent in following your direction and all these things, Holy Spirit, we pray. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the, the, the way that you use the, the church in the book of Acts as an example, as a blueprint for your church today. Might we be the same. And so, Lord, we look to you. Have your way. Be glorified. Thank you for this time, for this incredible book. We ask that you remain with us as we move into the book of First Peter next week. He's got some wonderful things to say by your spirit to our hearts as well. Oh, we look forward to that time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.